Welcome to the PR Matters Podcast, survival tips for church communicators, hosted by Justin Dean. Get your copy of Justin's new book, PR Matters, at churchprbook.com. Hey, welcome back. My name is Justin Dean, and I'm reading through my new book, PR Matters, a survival guide for church communicators. And my hope is that by putting this content out on a podcast for free, that it would be helpful for your church, that you would be able to be prepared for whatever crisis may occur in the future, and really that you would be more equipped to get the word out about the gospel and not worry about what may happen. Today, we're going to talk through the 10 traits of a successful PR person, and then we're going to start getting into creating a PR plan for your church. Chapter 3, 10 Traits of a PR Person I will never forget my first official day on staff at a church. I had just left a great marketing position in the corporate world to now work for one of the largest and fastest growing churches in the world. When I signed up, I was excited to be using my skills and experience for such a great and worthy cause. I quickly realized I had no idea what I was getting myself into. The position I had taken was the public relations manager for the church, but the role evolved over the years, and I ultimately oversaw all public relations and communications for the church, including content, social media, our websites, and more. That first day was very revealing for me. As soon as I arrived at our cold, dank Seattle offices, I was whisked off to meet with our senior pastor. He said something to me that helped set the tone for my role as the church PR guy. He asked if I was ready to strap my boots on, which kind of made me incredibly self-conscious about the Converse shoes I was wearing at the time. He went on to tell me that when what I signed up for was not a job, but rather it was a calling. He said the office was full of people who worked 9 to 5 and produced great content, but what we really needed were more soldiers on the front line. He told me I'd take a lot of hits, not just for him and not just for the church, but for God, that what we were trying to do was reach more people than ever with the story of the gospel, and that it was going to require risks it would most definitely have its challenges. The only rewards we'd receive would be the satisfaction of seeing people's lives changed as they came to Christ and got baptized. And we sure did reap those rewards. Year after year, we saw hundreds of people get saved and over a thousand people per year get baptized. Hundreds of thousands of people watched our sermons, and consumed our content every week, and we captured as many of their stories as we could. It was incredible to be a part of it all, and I've yet to see anything else quite like it. I walked away from that first meeting with an unbelievable weight on my shoulders that never went away, a glorious purpose that I had never felt before. I knew God had orchestrated everything in my life up until then so that I could serve in that role. If you want to be successful in helping your church reach more people, you can't treat it like a job. If you feel called to this type of work, then the only thing left to do is strap your boots on and start to hustle. It's time to hone in on your skills and be the best that you can be. People's lives are at stake. When I was a little kid, I never thought, when I grow up, I want to be a public relations professional. Nobody says, I want to work countless hours, promote other people's work, and only get the credit when something goes wrong. No, I wanted to be a film director. 
which probably has more to do with the fact that I grew up in Los Angeles and less to do with any talent that I actually have in creating films or telling stories. I even took filmmaking classes, acting classes, and I worked as an extra in a few movies. And no, I won't be revealing which ones. While I love movies and the whole filmmaking process, the problem was I'm actually not that creative. As it turns out, I'm better at promoting and marketing than I am at creating. But so are a lot of people. So what makes me unique? What I came to find out over time is that much like Liam Neeson's character in the movie Taken, I possess a unique set of skills that not a lot of people have. No, I can't track down bad guys or kill people with my bare hands, although I've never tried. What I'm talking about are the skills and characteristics needed to be a successful communicator and public relations person for your church. Not everyone can do this job well. In fact, you may currently be in this role at your church, and by the time you're done reading this book or listening to this podcast, you may realize that this isn't your calling. If that happens, I hope you'll trust in God to help you find a place to serve that brings you satisfaction and brings Him the most glory. I also hope that I'll be able to give you enough practical advice and tools to help you do your job even better, whether you continue to take on this burden or you share the responsibility with the team. If you can nail down these following skills and traits or assemble a team that can, then you're ready to start building a solid PR plan for your church. Your desire to see people come to Jesus and your willingness to work hard at spreading his message is what matters most. When it comes down to it, the following skills can be learned or outsourced, but they're important nonetheless. I'm a firm believer in training the called rather than calling the trained. In my experience, I believe a good PR person should have the following 10 traits and characteristics to be successful. One, good discernment. Two, they need to be trustworthy. Three, you need to have thick skin. Four, you should be adventurous. Five, humble. Six, a critical thinker. Seven, you need to be a good writer. Eight, sociable. Nine, informed. And lastly, number ten, you need to be dedicated. Let's walk through each one of these traits. Good discernment. This may be the most important characteristic of a good PR person, especially in the church setting. Without good discernment, you'll likely make a lot of mistakes and miss a lot of opportunities. So think long and hard in this area and get the assistance of people who know you so they can shed light on whether this is a quality you possess. I believe discernment is a spiritual gift. Pray and ask God to give you the gift of discernment if this is your desire. Good discernment is more than just knowing the difference between right and wrong. Discernment involves being in tune with the Holy Spirit and being able to act swiftly on His guidance. It's more than just good judgment. In fact, I would say discernment is what kicks in when you aren't sure about something, but you still need to make a decision. It's the feeling in your gut about something when you don't have all the information. It's also that feeling in your gut when the information tells you one thing, but you're sure it's wrong anyway. When I look back on the mistakes I've made as a PR person, most of them were when I acted or said something that went against my gut. When I went by the book, even though I felt it inside me that I should do or say something else. As a PR person, you need to be able to think quick on your feet. Things move fast. Deadlines come and go. News cycles can be as short as a few hours. And often opportunities are thrown in your face with little time to research. 
At our church, we would get strange requests almost every week, either through email or the main phone number, and sometimes when someone stopped by. As the head of PR, I would be notified about all of these requests, often having to make the decision on how we responded. Sometimes it was a church member who thought that we should take a stronger stance or a more public stance on homosexuality and gay marriage. Other times it would be someone who believed God spoke to them and had a message for our senior pastor. And a lot of times it was simply someone who just wanted to debate theology or rebuke us for something that we said or didn't say. We took every request seriously, although it was often easy to filter through requests that were so crazy or so negative that there wasn't anything we could do. Most of those got a canned, pre-written response and we went on our way. However, some requests were legit. Either someone was hurting and needed pastoral care or some other assistance from the church, or sometimes we did say or do something wrong and needed to make it right. And other times, people were alerting us to very real concerns about the church or a specific individual. Navigating through these requests and choosing what got our time and resources and what didn't required a lot of discernment. These were real requests from real people, and my decisions affected real lives. One day, a request came in over the phone to our receptionist. On any other day, this request would have easily went into our queue and eventually would have received a standard response. But something tugged on my gut that day, and I knew this one deserved my attention. A man called in and told our receptionist that he needed to speak with someone in senior leadership right away. He refused to give any details, just that it was serious and not just any pastor would do. The receptionist wasn't about to patch him in to our senior pastor. That just wasn't something that we would do. The guy was relentless and wouldn't let her just take a message. He knew he would be brushed off. To be fair, we've had other calls like this that ended up just being someone who wanted to tell our pastor off. And it's hard as a receptionist to tell who is being reasonable and who is a crazy person. I was alerted about the call, as was normal procedure when something weird or tense was happening. Like I said, any other day I'd tell this guy to just cool down and submit his request in writing. But something was off. My spidey senses were tingling, and I knew I should take this one seriously. I told the guy that there's no way he was going to talk to our pastor, but that I would listen to him and take whatever action was appropriate. That was the only option I gave him, so he gave in. But he didn't want to do it over the phone, and he didn't want to put anything in writing. So I agreed to meet him. I had no idea what I would be walking into, so I told him to meet me at the Starbucks that was next to one of our church campuses. I took a friend and a fellow church staffer with me for accountability and for protection. He was a really big guy with tattoos. As it turns out, the guy wasn't a churchgoer. He wasn't even a Christian, but he had information that I am glad that he brought to us. A friend of his had a teenage daughter whom one of our lay pastors had been messaging privately with on Facebook. The guy showed me printouts of their conversations, which he obtained through the teenage girl's mother. As I read the transcripts, the pastor, who was a volunteer and also worked at a local high school, was clearly flirting with this underage girl. And to make it worse, I knew he had a wife and children of his own. I assured the man that we would handle the situation and not ignore it, and thanked him for bringing it to our attention. I asked for his phone number, too, so that I could follow up with him and should I have any questions, so that I can give him an update on what we had done about it. I immediately called our executive pastors and alerted them about the situation, and they agreed that my next move should be to alert the school where the pastor worked, as well as the police. While I made those phone calls, they visited the lay pastor's wife. 
the pastor admitted to his wrongdoing and was immediately removed as a pastor and fired from his job at the school. The weight of turning this man's life upside down was upon me, but all I could think about was that poor teenage girl who probably didn't know what she was getting into. Based on the conversations I read, it would have escalated into something far worse had this friend not intervened. We continued to provide pastoral care to the pastor and his family, and we offered to pay for counseling and legal aid for the teenage girl and her family. The pastor did eventually face criminal charges, and I pray that he and his family have been restored. I was prepared with statements for the press should anything be leaked, but the whole mess stayed out of the news thanks to our fast reactions as well as the grace of the man who brought it to our attention. This wasn't particularly something we wanted to release on our own, but we were prepared to share every detail should it come up. Had I not trusted my gut that day, the man was prepared to release those transcripts to the news and to the police. We would have lost any leverage to tell the story correctly and would have been forced to be on the defensive. The man didn't expect us to do the right thing, but we did. When I called him to give him an update on everything that had been done, he thanked me and said that we turned around his perception of the church. The next trait you should possess to be a successful PR person is you need to be trustworthy. A good PR person needs to be discreet and trustworthy. We often deal with sensitive information, such like the story I shared about the man and the pastor on Facebook. At the time, there was no reason for the information around that story to be released to anyone else. As a PR person, you have to be able to keep a lot of things to yourself. As much as I love to share about myself on social media, when it came to my work, I rarely shared anything. There's a time and place for sharing certain information, while other information needs to be kept more private. You have to be able to know the difference and always act in the best interest of the church and all of those involved. Sometimes this means you know something about people that others don't, and you can't ever share about it. You can't even hint about it. I would sometimes be looped in on things that were so sensitive or private that I would be told, don't even share this with your wife. We didn't want to put the pressure on her to have to remember what was sensitive and what wasn't. I'm not talking about hiding anything. This would be stuff like a church discipline case that was confidential or a private situation with a pastor that was still being resolved. Sometimes it was hard being involved in serious situations and not being able to go home and talk about them with my wife. As, a commu as communicators who are often tasked with blasting out message after message, promoting this and that, it can also be hard to balance that with information you need to keep sensitive. Sometimes it's not even that it's sensitive, it's just that releasing it at a later time will have a greater effect, so you've got to be patient. Pastors need to also understand that your PR person is your public defender. Don't withhold information from them. The communications person should have a holistic and inclusive picture of everything going on and be able to speak into it. You don't want them caught off guard because that can be damaging to your overall message. Give them a seat at the table and authority to tell you the truth. If you can't trust your PR person to know everything, then there's either an issue with them or an issue with you. Either way, you need to figure it out and you need to make a change. The next quality is you need to have thick skin. PR isn't always going to be easy. If it is, then you're doing something wrong. You're going to need thick skin if you want to make it past your first crisis or even your first encounter with the press. Part of my job was reading and reviewing everything that was said about the church online. Anytime someone would make a comment on an article, post a blog post, tweet, or even sneeze within a mile of the church, I would know about it. We had alerts and monitoring services 24-7, so I'd know the second that something breaks. It's probably overkill for the majority of churches, but at the time, 
We were getting a ton of media attention. I monitored what people said because we cared about what they said. People having a perception of us that aligned with reality was critical to us being able to reach even more people all over the world with the story of Jesus Christ. Sometimes what they would say was pretty harsh. We were the largest church in the Seattle area, an overly liberal and pretty hostile setting for a conservative, reformed Christian church. As the official spokesperson for the church, often their criticisms and nasty comments were directed at me personally. That was more of an issue for my wife than it was for me. No wife likes reading bad things about their husbands in the local paper, or worse, on national stages like Slate or the New York Times. I ordered a pizza once, and the delivery driver texted me to say that he knew who I was and where I worked, so he wouldn't be delivering me my pizza. That's what I mean by hostile. The guy had recognized my name from news stories about the church and decided it was worth risking his job to tell me that he wasn't going to deliver my pizza to me. That was a scary time. This guy I had never met hated me so much, and now he had my address. We were thankful for security during that time, that's for sure. You probably think you won't ever experience anything quite that extreme in your position, but I would have said the same thing before it happened to me. I learned to let things like that roll off my shoulders. Sure, it hurts, and boy, did I have, did I want to fight back and defend myself. But you have to put the church first. You have to have the willpower to not flame the fires. You have to stay on message and stay on mission. Sometimes that can be quite the sacrifice. You also need to be adventurous. If playing it safe is your thing, then you're going to be a lousy PR person. I don't care if your church is a 150-year-old Baptist church in Alabama. If you want to reach more people and get some attention, then you're going to need to be bold and adventurous. No offense to Alabama Baptists. I'm sure you're all a ton of fun. Being bold and adventurous doesn't mean foolish and arrogant. But you need to be able to push the envelope and be a little different. As churches, we are fighting against a lot of preconceived notions. And we're trying to reach a world that doesn't want us to reach them. Untuck your shirt, roll up your sleeves, and break out of the box. Paul says... For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. That means don't be afraid to die, but it also means don't be afraid to live. We are here for a purpose. Let's make it count. Clorox was adventurous with their emoji tweet a few years back. It may not have turned out what they wanted, but that beats sitting around being a boring old bleach company. Wendy's is also adventurous. Amy Brown is currently the woman who manages social media for the fast food restaurant chain. Her and her team are known for their sass on the official at Wendy's Twitter account. It's how they amassed over a million followers and growing, as well as national acclaim. What's impressive is that it's more than just shock and awe. They provide helpful customer service through their Twitter account, including rewarding people for their loyalty. Almost every person who interacts with them gets a reply, which makes people feel loved and appreciated. Their funny, cavalier attitude has helped establish brand loyalty with many customers, myself included, and continues to keep them in the conversation. No one talks about how cool McDonald's is. They all talk about how funny Wendy's is. Go check out their account. It's not what you'd expect from a typical fast food place. And the church can learn a ton from them. You also need to be humble. Sometimes you've got to take a back seat. As a PR person, you're usually promoting someone else to the spotlight. And you need to be okay with that. We're the people behind the curtain mouthing the words to the speech being shared on stage because we're the ones who wrote it. 
You need to be okay with your work being attributed to someone else's name and not getting the recognition for it. Sure, sometimes you get quoted in a big newspaper or you get to go on TV and talk about something cool. But even then, it's not about you. It's about what you're promoting. Our job is to make the gospel the hero and get out of the way. If the story becomes about you and what you said, then you did something wrong. You also need to be a critical thinker. You need to be able to see the negative angle on things so you can plan ahead and react when necessary, while at the same time not being a jerk about it or letting it get to you. Nobody likes the person who constantly points out what is wrong, but there's still a responsibility to know so you can learn from it. While others are still celebrating the wins, you're already thinking one step ahead and making notes on what could have been done better for next time. Practically, this means digging deeper into that great blog post that someone just wrote and making some assumptions about how how it will be perceived by different audiences. What might seem innocent to some could be offensive to others. It's your job to determine if it's a big enough deal to change or if you're going to roll with it. If you roll with it, you've got to make a plan to defend it. It means being the person who says, you know, that's a great tweet, and I love how bold we're being, but can we post it next week so we don't distract from Easter? This also means you often have to think like the bad guys. Put yourself in the mindset of a blogger who always criticizes your church. Try to think like the reporter who always writes negative stories about you. What can you change to avoid another publicity nightmare? It can be emotionally and physically draining, but someone has to do it. Next, you need to be a good writer. You don't have to be a great writer, but you should be a good one. You have to be able to articulate yourself well in writing. From speeches, to statements, to taglines, to ad copy, to blog posts, to headlines, to sound bites. You're going to be tasked with crafting those messages, and you better be good at it. At the very least, you better have the resources to hire a good writer who's on hand to help you. I never thought of myself as a great writer. That's why I usually get someone to help me. You'll be at an advantage if writing isn't a struggle for you. I'll write something I love, then I'll read something a good writer has written and immediately see my inadequacies. I was fortunate enough to have a team of writers working for me at our church. We produced so much content each week that it was definitely needed. Between the two major blogs that my team managed, we were producing about 15 to 20 posts per week on top of ebooks and other assignments. Luckily, with several writers, editors, and theologians on staff, I could send over a poorly written blurb and get back a theologically and grammatically sound essay in return. You also need to be sociable. One of the key roles of a PR person, particularly at a church, is to build relationships. Your whole goal is to align the public's perception with the message of your church, so that requires actually interacting with the public from time to time. It helps if you're sociable. You have to be genuinely liked by people and want to be around them, or at least be really good at faking it. Relationships are the key to everything you are going to do as a church communicator. We'll dig deeper into this later, but the idea is to form and maintain healthy and candid relationships with the media, bloggers, people in the community, business owners, influencers, celebrities, and more. The more people who know you, the easier you can get your true message out. While most church communicators seem to be introverts who like to hide behind their iPhone screen, you might want to make sure someone on your team is good at talking with people and making friends. This is going to be a major part of what you do if you want to successfully manage the perception of your church. You also need to be informed. A good PR person is someone who is always informed. I've talked about having a pulse on the perception of your church and monitoring what people say about it. That's just one part. 
A successful PR person is up to date on trends in the media, trends with social networks, trends in culture, what other churches are doing, what successful businesses and brands are doing, breaking news, the political climate, new laws, and more. The more knowledge you can consume and soak in, the better you will understand the world around you and the context in which you are doing ministry. The better you understand that, the better you can prepare your church to help communicate the gospel to the world. Additionally, you need to have open communication with your church leaders. Your communications department, whether it's just you or a large team, can't be alone on an island and only activated when there's a crisis or something big to communicate. You need to be read in on how the church is doing, where it's going, how it's struggling, and how it's succeeding. You should have a good grasp on the bigger picture, the whole picture, so you can ensure the things your church is saying and doing are aligning with the direction you want to go and the perception that you want to have. There's nothing idle about this critical role in the church. It's a noble calling to be the communications person, and I may be the only person to ever acknowledge that for you. Aside from your pastor and the preaching of your church, this is the most critical piece of the mission. Defending, promoting, and distributing that message as far and wide as it can go in the best possible way. It's a tough task and requires you to constantly be on your feet and ready for action. Lastly, you need to be dedicated. This is a tiring and thankless job at times, and it doesn't stop. You're on call 24-7 every day of the year. The news doesn't even stop for Christmas. In fact, that's a great time to get some wonderful stories out about what your church is doing in your community. You've got to be dedicated to sustain it. It's a lifestyle that you have to get used to. My hope is that you won't take a job like this half-heartedly. My goal is to encourage churches to take risks and grow like they've never grown before. That's going to take dedication from people like you in the trenches and on the front lines. Hear this, though. There's no shame in serving in a PR role for a season, then taking a break. It's a tough job, and even though many people won't see it that way, it's not worth destroying your health or family over. So stay dedicated, but know your limits, and take advantage of your downtime. While there certainly are other traits and characteristics that make a good PR person, I believe that those are some of the most important. If you can be all of those, or most of these, then you'll last a very long time in your role, hopefully make a huge impact for your church. If you need to improve in one or two of these areas, start focusing on them now. Start by praying and asking God, should he want you to continue doing what you're doing, that he would help you develop in those areas. Then reach out to others, your pastor, your boss, your colleagues, and ask them to keep you accountable in those areas and help you grow. If you're taking on multiple roles in the church and you simply can't be all of these things, try hiring consultants or volunteers who excel in the areas where you need help. If you're not a good writer, hire a writer. If you have someone eager to get out into the community and build relationships, equip them to go do it well. If you're more comfortable behind the scenes, but you know someone eager to get on camera, let them be the figurehead and spokesperson and you just craft what they say. Not everyone is built to be all of these things, but if you work as a team and admit your shortcomings, you can make it work. Thanks again for listening. Tune in to the next episode as we start to build your PR plan for your church.